Presented by T-Mobile, the official wireless partner of Odyssey Sports. With an awesome network and great savings, there's never been a better time to join T-Mobile. Visit your neighborhood store to make the switch today. Yo, Trey. Kevin, what's up, man? You know, I've been thinking, what would have happened if the NBA never vetoes the Chris Paul trade to the Lakers and we get CP3 in the same backcourt as Kobe in L.A.? Well, you get a very happy Jack Nicholson, for sure. And the Lakers probably win a bunch more championships. CP3 finally gets a ring or two or three. And the Kardashian empire is forever altered. What did you just say? Hey, everybody, I'm Trey Wingo. And I'm Kevin Frazier, and we're teaming up on a new weekly sports podcast from Wondery Alternate Routes. As former sports center anchors and current sports obsessives, we're consumed by all the what-if questions that make being a sports fan so excruciatingly fun. If you're like us, then you also live and die on the fallout from every drop pass. Or play call. Each week on Alternate Routes, we'll take a flashpoint in sports, break down what actually happened, then explore every alternate scenario and the ripple effects it would have caused. Follow Alternate Routes on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. Passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance from superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has got you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Welcome, welcome to the Brett Boone Podcast. Explore the mind of MLB All-Star, Silver Slugger, and Gold Glove winner, Brett Boone, as he sits down with his friends from the world of professional sports. Now, now up to, to bat, Brett Boone. 90s Brett, and uh, I'm sure you get asked all the time, you, Doggy, and Glav, always get put together. Sorry for those of you listening to the Boone Podcast. When I say Doggy, that's Greg Maddox. Uh, but I also think it's a pretty complimentary duo to be hooked with for the rest of your life. Right. In my opinion, definitely in my career, uh, my biggest foe what were the three of you. And, and, and when John Smoltz gets asked, I'm sure you get asked all that, who are the toughest pitchers you face? And I'm sure you have certain guys. Well, he gave me trouble. He gave me trouble. I've, I've narrowed it down now. When people ask me, who are the toughest pitchers, Booney? Well, of course, Randy Johnson comes to mind. Pedro mm-hmm. in his heyday, Clemens. But I, I've simplified. I said, Maddox, Smoltz, Glavin in the 90s. Used to look at my USA Today. This is before phones. I'd start <laughs> counting the days. And all due respect to Kent Merker. Love him. Was a yeah. hell of a pitcher. I would just hope that I landed on Merker. <laughs> Kent Mer- but I'll tell you what, Johnny, nine times out of ten, I, I, I'd, I'd, open, you know, I'd open that newspaper with one eye. I'd be like, son of a bitch. Maddox, yeah. Smoltz, Glavin fall on those days, and already I'm in a I'm in a bad mood. Two day, two weeks out, so I get the word in '98. I get traded to the to the Atlanta Braves. I remember I'm sitting there down in Florida at Isleworth. You played there many a time. Oral Hershiser comes by and he's, "Hey Booney, I, I heard you got traded. This could be great for you because this was the thing in the in the in the '90s. You get traded to the Braves, 
you're probably going to go to a World Series. And he said, hey, you're going to get a chance to go to a World Series. I was all excited. I said, Oral, I don't really care. I said, I don't have to face those three clowns anymore, <laughs> at least for a year. And uh, I got to go over there. That was my first thought. But I'll tell you, when I got there, I remember the spring training. Uh, myself, Brian Jordan, were new players. Um, and I remember Bobby addressing us and, and, and saying, this is our – this is how we do it here in Atlanta. And it was different than any other team I've ever been on. Winning was expected. It was the culture. He rolled out that lineup. It was very workmanship-like. Uh, and I think we won 102 or 103, whatever we won that year. Yeah. Went out of the postseason, disappointing. We, you know, we got beat by the Yankees. Um, talk about that culture of the 90s where you're going to the playoffs every single year. It was the way you had your, your, your core it was the three of you guys. It, it was Chipper Jones. Uh, eventually, it became Andrew Jones as well as a part of that core. And throughout the 90s, you brought in pieces at different times. But it seemed like it was the same Braves. It was very workmanlike. It was, hey, we're here We're here in spring training to get ready to go on this, this journey where we're getting to the postseason. And we don't know. Uh, we're not thinking – that's our goal. We know we're going to get there. Our goal is to win the World Series. Talk about that culture in Atlanta. Yeah. I think they've got it back a little bit now with Brian yeah. Snitker, who, who Bobby had a big relationship with. Snit's been with that organization, and it seems to be getting back to that culture the last five or six years. Yeah, so, you know, I don't know how your feeling was when, when I explained this and how long it took you to get used to our spring trainings because they were so simple. I uh, almost feel guilt, guilt for a lot of guys who came over and said, really, this is all we do? Bobby had a simple culture that he treated you like an adult unless you weren't unless you weren't an adult he tried to teach you how to become an adult and what he what he appreciated about us individually is that we all showed up early got our work in and as pitchers he didn't believe in time killers and spring training he didn't believe in eye wash stuff he just wanted us to do our things and know that our personality would never take for granted our responsibility as pitchers Glavin Maddox and myself never talked about accomplishing anything we never talked about outdoing anybody we basically wanted to become the best versions of ourselves and feed off of each other. And like I said, in the regular seasons, nobody did it better than Glavin and Maddox. You know, I got to shine in a postseason. My regular seasons were okay, but the mindset was get in, get, do your work, and get out. And not to mention the philosophy in the 90s was we we're going to ride the starters. Bobby was going to ride the starters all year. That's why we threw 260, 200 through 250 innings. And he basically was going to give us the percentage of chances to finish games. And then if he had to go get somebody. And so when we, when we were doing our thing, we, we knew that every day, if you had your ego, you were going to get humiliated. If you watched us to pitch and you wanted to be the guy or you wanted to be the ace, that was not a good philosophy to adopt because that guy might throw a no hitter or a, a one hitter or a shutout. And so we simply enjoyed uh, competing off the field with golf, competing and hitting competitions. But when it came to pitching, we learned from each other and we fed off of each other. And I know that, you know, there was a long run there that two to one games were thought that it was over. And we never, I never understood that. I always wanted to go to our hitters and go, do you really think two to one's that easy to win? Well, we, you know, Maddox is in control. This game's over. Like add on, hit a home run, hit too late. Um, <laughs> But I heard I, – I don't know if you were part of the conversation, but in spring training when we got like Gary Sheffield or B.J. Surhoff or somebody like that, Bobby would call him in and he said, you see those three guys? They're going to be gone by 11 o'clock every spring training going to play golf. 
they're the reason we're going to win. So don't uh, don't be complaining when you see those guys walking off of spring training at 1130 going to play golf. And the hitters were taken back like, really? That's what he's going to say to me? But then they realized that, you know, our foundation was going to be pitching, defense, and then hitting. And, you know, when you put 14 years in a row together and you only come up once, it looks like a big-time failure. But what we were able to do with the rosters that we had assimilated we gave ourselves a chance every year to get to the postseason. And when you lose World Series games by one run, it's no different than losing by 10. But it's frustrating to lose your first eight World Series games by one run, knowing a play here, a pitch here, a defensive play here, and your World Series champs. So when you're going at it every year, you don't think about the previous five that didn't go well, or you just think that this is going to be your year and we're going to put together the right formula. And we did it for 14 years. Um, 91's a toss-up. Obviously, both teams went to game seven, one to nothing game in 11 innings or whatever it was. 92 was frustrating. We lost to the, uh, a really good Toronto Blue Jays team. 93 might have been the most frustrating team because we were loaded. That's when we got do- doggy Maddox. We lost to the Phillies. They went on to lose to, t- to t- t- Toronto. And in 95, we finally got it done. 96 is where I call it the pivotal jump off point. We're up two games to none against the Yankees. We're going to win that series. If we play it 10 times, we're going to win it eight or nine. But we didn't win it, and we started trading players and going in a different direction. The Yankees spun that into a four out of five. It changed their organizationally, and it changed our organization. 98, we had a great team, and we didn't get it done against the San Diego Padres. So you could point back every time and look back and go, golly, so close. But that's the nature of sports, and that's the nature of what we put together will never be duplicated. But there will be teams in a 14-year run that will win more championships than we did but our argument is you know what as a player selfishly when you left spring training you knew you had a good chance to do something you wanted to do and that's get to the world series um we didn't win it as much as we should have but we look back and it was an incredible run and everybody looks to you know you talk about the postseason and Smoltzy, one of the best postseason pitchers of all time. Everybody thinks of Mariano Rivera uh, because of all the postseason well you had a lot too and, and you're right there with him um, 95, you win the World Series. Uh, you were an eight-time All-Star during your career. 96, you put it all together. You win the Cy Young. And and I think, you know, and I, and I think it's a good way of talking about Glab and Maddox. Uh, but the thing that was so tough for an opponent coming in to face you guys is that you were three number ones, and you were all so different. Yeah. You were kind of the, the classic over-the-top, power arm power slider not throwing a slider for a strike if if you if you made me, unless you made you you know and you used to drive me crazy smolty when you when you had to go to the pen and drop down because of your arm problems and you were nasty then you came up with a split you're doing all these i remember being in a game with you you're throwing knuckleballs yes uh, uh but i'll tell you i could see the ball i think i only faced you once or twice i think we faced each other in seattle when you were a closer uh, this is after my time in Atlanta, and I thought, well, Smoltz still nasty, but from his three quarters, I can actually see the ball. Whereas when you came over the top for years and years, I'd just be like, come on, just just give me a heater. To, and every time it was a <laughs> slider, and then I'd get on the slider, and it's a heater on the corner. So it was a, it was a cat and mouse back and forth that I, I got the, the short end of the stick on. Um, can I tell but, you something, though? Can yeah. I tell you something? When yes. you went back, when you went to Seattle, Okay, and I was in the pen. That game that I faced, you, Ichiro, and Edgar Martinez with the bases loaded. 
this, the backdrop, people ask me about starting and then closing, and then why did I go back to starting? It was that game that I decided mentally I was going back to starting. I was in a run as a closer. I was having success, um, but I was being used a ton. We were in Oakland the series before. I had pitched in five straight games. I got a mandatory day off, and then that next day, if you can get that next day off, it's great for a closer. And we were winning by four runs in the ninth inning. I hadn't stretched. I hadn't gotten ready. Nothing could prepare me to go in that game. And Roberto Hernandez pulled a side muscle with two outs in the ninth, up by four. And Bobby called me in. And I'm like, what? I pointed to me twice. Me? And he (laughs) called me in. Brian McCann was catching. I was irate. I was like, oh, my gosh, what am I going to do? I'm not ready. You get all the time you want to be ready when an injured player. But I called Brian McCann, and I said, you put down finger number one until we lose the game or win the game. I am not getting hurt out here, and I am, I am, I am just going to throw fastballs down the middle. We get an out. Okay, that's over with. I'm, I'm, I'm a little still, a little hot. Like I'm being used at a, at a record rate only because we didn't have guys in the pen that Bobby was, would trust. So now we come to Seattle, and I'm like, all right, they got a great lineup, and I'm preparing for, you know, the game. I come into the eighth inning, bases loaded, nobody out in a three-run game. After pitching that game in Oakland, I walked on that mound. I'm being dead honest. I said, this is it. I am not doing this anymore. I am going to go back to what I love. I'm going to start. And I ended up getting up, giving up one run. I got out of it and got the save. But my point was – we lost Glavin and Maddox when I went to the pen. We didn't win a series when I was in the pen. And I told our general manager, if you give me 11 chances, we're going to win the World Series. But we're not getting to me. So when we had this conversation about what was best for the team moving forward, I said, you know what? I'd like to go back to starting. He goes, no, nah, I don't think that's possible. No one's ever done it. You haven't started in five years. I said, I can do it. I've done it 14 times. It's my mindset. And, and we'll be better off with me in the starting rotation if you can find a closer. But I point to that game in, in, in Seattle where I had just flipped a switch and said, if I can go back to starting, this is it. I loved and learned how to close, but I loved to start. And the next year I was able to start, finish three more years, and the rest is history. But that Seattle, bases loaded, eighth inning, 3 nothing, where I had to face you three beasts, and it could have gone so, so bad. That was the, the, the decision-making process for me to go back to starting. I mean, I look at your – and it's not like you just went to the pen and did okay. I mean, you saved 55 games, 45 games, 44 games. You won a Rolades. Not too many people come to mind when they had the level of success as a starter and a reliever. Eckersley does for mm-hmm. me. Um but but what was the what was the thought process? I know because at the beginning I remember talking to you, Johnny, a, a lot about uh, injuries and how your arm would feel. Yeah. And, and but I remember the day you said, "Booney, I can't throw over the top right now. I got to get through this year throwing three quarters." Right. Uh, when you went to the pen, even though you were having a ton of success, when you you went from one of the top starters in baseball to one of the top relievers, how was that for your sight? Did I don't know. I think about change. It, yeah. it would almost be like from being a shortstop and and now I'm going to be a DH. Yeah. I, I don't know how I would have handled that. And and I'm really impressed because my solace, my my 
to get out of my mind when I'm not swinging the bat is I get to go play defense and maybe take right. a hit away from somebody to just the DH. It's like, it's a whole different mindset. Was that for you from, cause being a starter and then hanging out in that pen and coming in the ninth inning, yeah. that's a big difference. How was that for you? So I, I hated it to be honest. Um, here's the backstory that nobody really knows. I come back from Tommy John. I'm making my, my work back to a starter. I'm in Yankee stadium and I'm pitching a game. My elbow starts hurting. I think I re-tear my, my ligament. I come out of the game. I ripped the jersey off my back. I said, I quit. I'm done. I can't do this anymore. I'd been pitching a lot of pain all the way leading up to Tommy John. I pitched with a torn ligament for probably three years. And the trainers waited for me to cool down. They said, just, you know, relax. Just going to go to Birmingham. We'll get it rechecked. You're going to be fine. I go to Birmingham. They say I've got pretty bad tendonitis, kind of waited out about two months and I'll be okay. Well, two months come and go. And I, and I tell Bobby, I said, Bobby, I'm going to go to the, I'm going to go to the minors and try to help you out, out of the bullpen. He goes, no, no, no. I'll wait for you to start. I said, it's not, I don't have enough time. Let me go to the minors. Let me work as a reliever. I'll just help in whatever role I can help. I go to the minors and I start clicking. It starts going 96, 97. Now I get to 98. And I deem myself ready. I pitch three games in a row and I come up and I'll never forget the meeting. Bobby goes, all right, I don't know when I'm going to get you in, but the first chance I can, I'll get you in. It's a nine, nothing game in the ninth at home. I come in out of the bullpen. The place goes crazy. I'm throwing 99 miles an hour because of adrenaline. I think I strike out the side or strike out two. And everyone's like, whoa. So that year is nine, 11, nine, 11 happens. And we get that week break. But I, Carse was our closer, and I was starting to pitch to the um, setup guy. And eventually, I became the closer after 9-11 or thereabouts right before. Then we finished the season. I'm the closer, and I finished or closed 10 out of 11 games, okay? So that's, that's just now I'm proved my elbow's healthy. I'm a free agent, and I'm like, I'm going back to starting. Uh, no, no, no. Uh, management said, if you stay here, you will be our closer. And I was so frustrated, Booney. I was like, you, you mean I don't even have a choice? And at the end of the result, I wanted to play for Bobby so bad that I ended up working that out to be a closer. Maddox and Glavin were there then. And I, in my mind, convinced myself, I'll just save their 300 games. That'll be how I – but it's a personality different, structure different, workout different. It is opposite of who I am. I love the controlled adrenaline that a starter provides. I love going one through nine. I hated sitting on the bench waiting for everybody to do their job so I could get in. I tell people it's like driving the same route to work every day as a, as a starter. Getting in NASCAR and flying at 250 miles an hour, getting to your work as a closer. It's like literally the, there's polar opposite. Well, that first year, I start out horrible. I got a thumb injury. I don't pitch all spring training, and I'm bombing. And I'm like, people are saying this is not going to work. What are we doing? Well, that year I ended up with 55 saves. It, it just was a miraculous year. And it sealed my fate as anything that I could ever – like all of a sudden now that's what I got known for. It erased 14 years of being a pretty good starter. It's like this is I, – I heard articles, this is what he was meant to do. And no, 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 I set a record. Well, it still struggled with my personality. So I decided before the year started – I blew up the bullpen and made a Taj Mahal. I had them build me a room, and I wish I would have checked out the price, by the way, before I asked them to do it because, oh, my goodness, was it expensive. Six recliners, two TV, three TVs, two computers, refrigerator, because you know how hot it is in Atlanta. 
Yeah. And it's boiling down there. And I told the guys, I'm not, this is not, I'm better than you. I, my personality cannot come down there in the first inning, sit around and wait to pitch in the night. So I'm going to hang in the clubhouse and the bull and in the dugout for five innings. I'm going to treadmill, warm up, and I'm going to come in the sixth inning, get in my recliner, and we're going to have the best year we've ever had as a bullpen. Well, management freaks out. They think this isn't going to work. I said, no, it's going to work. Everyone's going to be relaxed. They know their rules. You're in air conditioning. We come out. We let all the baseball in the bullpen. And that's the only way I could handle it because I was not wired. You know me. I am not wired to sit around twiddle my thumbs, be patient, and then come bowling in the ninth inning, you know, and doing the game. So that's kind of kind of the evolution of what happened. And the backstory was it was kind of my own fault when I was trying to help the team out of the pen that became the only thing they wanted me to do come to co- <laughs> contract negotiations. So that's how the story of me going to the bullpen really, really happened. I want to touch a little bit and I'll let you out of here. Uh, Watching Shohei Otani, I never thought in my lifetime I'd see this happen. I, the game is just too hard the way we prepare as yeah. hitters. And then I watch you guys. I, I never really hung with pitchers, don't like them, had to face them eventually. <laughs> I never wanted to be friendly with anybody because I got to face you one day when I get yeah. traded or you get traded. Um, but I never thought. It's it's too much at the highest level to pitch, let alone pitch at a at a – third or fourth starter level and right. and be a seven hole hitter that that is a good player that would be ridiculous enough but the fact that I'm watching this going on 3 years now not only is he doing it but he's doing it at an all-star le- he's doing it at a top 10 level yeah. as a pitcher and as a hitter never thought I'd see it in my lifetime he's stealing bases he's laughing at people he's stealing <laughs> home you know throwing 100 and hitting bombs and yeah. it's like I, I think it's cool, though, because of his personality, uh, because of how he seems to be. I've never met him, uh, but he seems like a great kid. But you can almost see when he steals second base, the fact that he's doing all these things at an all-star level, he knows he's doing something freaky. It's yeah. just that smile on his face when he looks at a second baseman and kind of puts his arm around. Because he's a monster, too. He's, he's huge. Yes. And he'll put his arm around a middle infielder as he steals second. And he just has that smile like, yeah, and and it's not from an arrogant, uh, well, you know, point. It's just kind of. I appreciate. I know I'm doing something freaky right now. It's really cool, but I'm also a really good guy. It's cool for me to watch. I become yeah. a huge fan, and I'll stop what I'm doing if Shohei's pitching and he's hitting because I I got to see is he going to do it again? I turned it on. I think it was yesterday. They ended up yeah. Rain, they ended up getting a rain delay, so he only pitched two innings, gave up one. He was already two for two. And I watch him on the mound coming out of the rain delay, and he's just throwing these nasty sliders and striking people out. I'm like, it's got to be unbelievable to feel. I know you love to hit, but, I mean, he's hitting, like, for real. Yeah. And, and, and it's just remarkable to me. Just just your your thoughts. Of, well, is it similar to what I'm seeing? Absolutely. Now, when the first whole thing started, you know, I can imagine him coming over to Major League Baseball knowing I'm about to shock the world on what they've never seen. I didn't think it would be successful early on. I really didn't. I thought they were doing him an injustice. The contract probably had to read with the Angels promising he would do both, right? You would never in a perfect world subject him to this for the reasons of tremendous failure early or, you know, ease into this. Or he would, of course, he had the injury with his arm. He is exceeding every expectation and every expert that could ever dream 
of what he's capable of doing. The highest compliment I can give him is this. If all he did was pitch, I think he's the best pitcher in our game. Would be the best pitcher in our game. And the reason I can make that statement, we already have the DeGrom and the Garrett Coles and the Justin Verlanders and all the elites. That's all they do. They don't hit. They don't split half their time. This guy's splitting his time in a way where he doesn't have an ability to give his brain a rest. If he's slumping on the mound, he's got to go hit. If he's slumping in the, in the plate, he's got to go pitch. He's got to concentrate on something every single day of his career. Yes, he's young enough to do it. By God, he's talented enough to do it. But he's doing it at an elite level that nobody – remember, go all the way back to spring training. He bombed. He couldn't hit anything. They suggested this. He couldn't get anybody out. And yet he was going to break with the team, and he was going to embark on this career that the contract read. And, oh, my goodness, has he – He's must-watch TV. At the, he doesn't even take batting practice outside. I got to see it at the World Baseball Classic in Miami. He was hitting balls off the scoreboard in center field, which I guarantee is 520 feet or more. The ball comes off his bat differently. The ball comes out of his hand differently. I don't know. The million-dollar question is I don't know how long he can do this, both. Yeah. That's going to be the, the – the, someone's going to pay him to do both, and the contract's going to be massive. I hate the next statement I'm about to make because this was made about a lot of players and it's an unfair statement. But the statement I'll make is he's the greatest player to ever play the game if he continues at 80% of what he's doing. I don't imagine Babe Ruth even comes close to what Shohei Otani's doing because what people don't understand about Babe Ruth, he part-time pitched. It wasn't even, he only did it for a couple right. years. Like he was amazing. He was phenomenal. But what Shohei Otani's doing, he's the number one pitcher on his team. He's now the number one player on his team. And I thought I would never say that with a guy named Mike Trout on his team. So those are ultimate praise of a player that played the game, watched the game, and now broadcast the game. And to your point, I think it's well taken. He knows it. He's got the greatest attitude. He's the face of baseball, and he embraces it. And, yes, there's a language barrier but it's getting better and better. And by the end of his career, he'll probably be doing his interviews in English, which to me is another amazing thing when you're culturally different. You come over to this States and you try to play this game, which, by the way, in our day, day this is what we would say about him. Got to call him up to the higher league because he has mastered this one. Call him really? up. Get him out. He really has. And I never thought I'd say that. I'm like, no way he can do it. Okay, he'll do it part time. You know, I was thinking years ago, like, what are they going to do? Are they going to kind of get a carve out a niche? Maybe he can pitch the eighth inning or right. or do that a little bit here to, to, to tow the slab every fifth day and to be the main, you know, with Trout, Rendon, be the main offensive. Yeah. I mean, it's up there in the, it, it's it's unbelievable. The only thing I think when I watch him is we've never seen it before. I don't know if we'll see it again in our lifetime. Although I think he's going to open the door right. for the, for this younger generation to really, Hey, it can be done. He's proven right. that, but it's almost like I watch him and it's like, I want to wrap him in bubble wrap because it's almost too good to be true. Like I think to your point, it's been an unbelievable two years going on his third year of, of playing at this level, but how long realistically can it go? We as fans want it to go forever. I think it's the, like you said, he's, he's the face of baseball. He's what it's about. He's much watch, must watch TV. If show yeah. he's, if show he's playing, you want to watch him, but if he's pitching 
and hitting, you're definitely going to stop and watch that game. I think he's awesome for the game, and and uh, we'll see how much longer he can do it. Very cool. Uh, touching your golf. Tell me about your hip. I read an article about you. Uh, you got the one hip replaced. You want to get the other place. Your next goal in life is to? My next goal was always when I retired to see how far I could take competitive golf. It would be on the Champions Tour level. I got a great opportunity. They've been incredible to me qualifying for the U.S. Open and getting sponsor exemptions, playing with some of the greatest in the world was was just humbling. Um, my, my goal was physically I would like to put in the work to try to compete and to qualify. Well, the last three years have been really physically tough. And thankfully, you know, my wife and she begged me to get it done. The quality of life was starting to get really bad. And, and the pain was getting to a level where, you know, when you're used to it, you're used to it. But that doesn't make it right. And now having it done two months ago and really experiencing great results from my left hip, I have no apprehension to get my right. My right is worse in the pain aspect. I thought I could buy some time. So after this year, I'm going to get my right done. And I don't know if I've run out of time at 55 now to be 56 in May. Uh, we have this great circuit in Celebrity Golf that hopefully I'm, I keep getting invited to. That's That keeps my competitive juices. I retired from basketball at 51. I was playing uh, from 41 to 51 in high-level competitive basketball. That probably contributed to my hip problems. And then once this hip gets done, I'm hopeful uh, that, you know, I can regain some of those activities that I miss. I always will be young at heart, even if I'm moving like a, an old man. I've got two grandkids now and probably more on the way, and I want to experience them. So there's still enough competitive juices uh, left in this body to try and give it one more run. But that's the goal, the, the dream. And if it happens, great. If it doesn't, well, I've experienced a lot. Well, John Smoltz, it's been a pleasure, man. I appreciate you coming on. Uh, 213 wins, 154 saves, a rare combo in, in today's day and age. Hall of Fame got inducted in 2015. And uh, my eyes, the, the number one analyst out there in the game. And, and I enjoy your commentary. I, I love your insight, uh, Come, it seems like you always come from a different place. It makes me think, and, and I love that. Uh, so all the best, best in your golf, pursuing that golf dream. If we catch up one day, uh, we'll get to play golf again. But uh, I appreciate you coming on the podcast. And for all of you out there watching the Boone podcast, appreciate you listening. We'll see you next time. 2400 Sports is an Odyssey company. 